if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to episode 12, season 2 of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. With you once again are Alex Gross, that's me, the Spurs fan and your host, and my two good friends, uh, Nick Gilmer, the Manchester United fan. He's very happy this weekend. Hello, hello. (laughs) And uh, less chipper, but still turning up each week, it's uh, Leeds United fan, George Harker. (laughs) Good evening, hello. Thanks for your presence. Uh, we know it means a lot to uh, discuss your woes every week with us as they get deeper and as you get sucked into the uh, relegation battle yet again. Much worse listening to Nick's uh, joyous <laughs> comments. Yeah, you got the double whammy um, this weekend. Nick's coming off the back of a um, amazing uh, Manchester derby, one of the classics, dare I say, Nick. Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to go down as one of one of the best. Yeah, the visions of that Michael Owen goal in the four three and nothing will top that. Nothing will top that. (laughs) But uh, uh, keen listeners, uh, regular listeners might remember that uh, episode five of season two is called uh, Derby Day Disasters, and that's because the reverse fixtures back in October were the Manchester Derby at the Etihad and the North London Derby at the Emirates. And both our teams, Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur, uh, succumbed to terrible defeats. 6-3 for you, uh, 3-1 for us. I was really hoping that we could call this one Derby Day Delirium or something of that uh, ilk with the sa- in the same alliterative vein. But unfortunately, it's only you who is uh, smiling today. I'll because... make up for it <laughs> for the both of us. Thank you, yes, because on Sunday, uh, Tottenham put in another woeful and... Um, meek performance against big opponent uh, against Arsenal and um, league leaders. I'm not going to start calling them champions elect yet. If either of you two want to, then feel free. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the, the league leaders, Arsenal, um, pretty much coasted to a 2-0 victory. We knew they'd be up at halftime given um, recent uh, games at Spurs Stadium, but um, there wasn't enough of a response second half to get anything out of it either. So, um, yeah. I won't be saying much, I guess, this week. Uh, and then there's George also, who was uh, in under the Friday night lights at Villa Park. Aston Villa, Leeds United. Always a good game, they uh, they hyped it up as. Leeds, widely praised for a good performance, but once again, didn't get anything out of it. What I would say, though, just to um, put a little silver lining on this, is that Leeds are still in 14th place. Yes, it's very bunched up down there, but... You know, that's a few clear of the line, isn't it? Well, uh, I'll yeah, take I'm it. offering a straw for you to clutch. That's, yeah, it's not even a straw. Thanks. <laughs> so, as we do every week now, let's start with uh, moment of the weekend, uh, which is where we choose a moment uh, not from one of our teams, uh, not from our respective teams. Sorry, that was our highlight of the weekend. And uh, since we sort of um, took the words out of your mouth last week, George, why don't you go first this weekend and choose your moment of the weekend after the obligatory jingle wow moment of the weekend i think my favorite bit was when it was monday and we came as over 
Uh, mine's a bit tenuous. Well, we've really... never had that one before. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Um, it's not really the weekend as such. I'm going to Thursday night, so a bit, bit tenuous, unfortunately. But I was really struggling to find anything to be happy about from the weekend. Um, just uh, Jao Felix's red card, I thought it was hilarious. Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. a- aside from obviously the player being quite hurt, I, I actually, I'm not even sure it was that bad. I think it's because of the circumstances. People thought it was a lot worse than it was. He was, I think he was clearly trying to block the ball, but just followed through a horrific knee height. But um. Just the fact that they stole him from other clubs' noses. Uh, yeah. I think he missed three good chances in the game and then, yeah, straight red on his debut, which is very... So, uh, just for context, this is a game in hand that played last Thursday at Craven mm-hmm. Cottage between Fulham and Chelsea, the uh, world-famous West London derby. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fulham beat their rivals for the first time in 16 years uh, with a 1-0 victory, was it? Um, 2-1. 2-1, thank you. 2-1. And yeah. Uh, yeah, as George said, uh, the low knee from Atletico Madrid, Portuguese Real Felix committed a bad foul, got a straight red. He's out for three games. And how much does that cost them, Nick? I know you know well, this. Yeah, I think it's 1.2 million. No, it's more. I think Is it so more? It's, it's more than 2 million when you take into account his massive wages and everything else. <laughs> God, it's costly. So it's quite. When you yeah, spend was... 10 million pounds on a player who's there for a good time, not a long time. I was going to say it was, it was a triple whammy because. Obviously, William scored the opener against his former club, and um, with some absolutely kamikaze defending from Chelsea, has to be said. And then, yeah, red yeah. card, and then lost as well. So it was um, pretty hilarious all round. Chelsea bounced back at the weekend uh, after a horrible series of results with a one-nil win against uh, Crystal Palace, who've been woeful also in recent weeks, uh, going out of the cup uh, against Southampton, being being hammered by Tottenham, which is difficult these days to achieve yeah so we'll definitely permit that one won't we nick yeah even though it was thursday motion it was great, passed great motion pick. passed yeah uh great choice yeah and nick what's your moment of the weekend aside from the obvious at old trafford well there's only one place for me to go and i don't know if you can say rolling back the years about danny welbeck because he still feels like he's about 25 <laughs> and just about to explode on the scene but um danny welbeck rolling back the years with a gascoigne-esque control and then tucking it past Allison, and then mimicking the Rashford celebration was the cherry on a particularly delicious cake this weekend for me. <laughs> yeah, I thought I might just choose Brighton in general because uh, we called it on the pod, didn't we? We say Brighton pretty much favourites with Liverpool's shaky recent form and uh, Liverpool travelling down to Brighton on Saturday. Brighton won 3-0 and uh, Klopp called it the worst performance, I think, in his whole time, his whole seven and a half years. I think he said his whole career. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, worst management experience of his life. And they've got Chelsea next, so that's uh, two teams in need of uh, some sort of boost playing each other. Mid-table battle. Yeah, (laughs) mid-table battle. They're playing each other. um, Well, it's literally true, isn't it? It's ninth against tenth uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Yeah, so that leaves me with... um, a few things left to choose from. I thought I might have gone for Mitrovic's penalty, which he hit twice, but I really wanted to go that to go in. And I think we're choosing broadly positive things, aren't we? So um, that was that, that was just something I might have chosen because I'd not seen it before. But basically, uh, what what provided the most mirth was uh, James Ward-Prowse. Oh yeah, um, with his brace at Everton. Everton had taken the lead through um, their only player who's actually decent at the moment, Onana. But then in the second half, Southampton 
came back. Ward Prowse scored twice, including a free kick that takes him within one of David Beckham's total direct free kicks in the Premier League. Is that Premier League or English yeah. football, George? Yeah, I've seen that. It's Premier League. And I was going to actually raise a question on this pod. He's he's probably better because his conversion rate is insanely good. Yeah, yeah. Like Although was a, to that, was I would just good. say that this one wasn't particularly good, and it was Beckham's no, fault. But yes, I don't know what he was doing. And I'd actually say is I know he's around for his free kicks and he's amazing at the but his first goal was brilliant. Yeah, he took it yeah. down and um, took it past two defenders and finished with a plum. He is he is bang in form and probably should be back in the England squad soon. I would have thought. Yeah, so perhaps more on Everton later um, because <laughs> there's quite a lot of rubbernecking to do there. But yeah, uh, a single out Ward Prowse for that achievement. So um, we'll go to you, Nick, because you um, are the only one who's happy today, uh, happy <laughs> after this weekend. And boy, are you happy because uh, Manchester United, well, I was a bit tired um, Saturday lunchtime and I fell asleep during this game. Uh, I don't know whether it was that bad in the first half, but certainly not much seemed to happen. And then on the hour mark, uh, Grealish put City ahead. And um, then, well, describe to us what happened thereafter in the space of five minutes towards the end of the game. Yeah, there was a, um, let's say, controversial equaliser where Rashford running onto a ball where he was a few yards offside um, then at the last moment left it and Bruno Fernandes uh, took the ball away having had the defence completely dragged out of position by Rashford's run actually and I mean there so, is nothing better than a controversial equaliser in a derby so we're guess, leading with the controversy are we? well it's happened before <laughs> there is definitely precedent it was an Arsenal goal where Alexis Sanchez scored against Chelsea in exactly the same scenario, whereby a player coming back from an off- offside position went to the ball and then stood out the way as Sanchez ran on and scored. Yeah, I vaguely um, remember that. So it, it's not like the rule is new. We're not rewriting rules here. But, I mean, I think, strictly speaking to the letter of the law, it was it was well officiated. It seemed like a nonsense to me. I have to say, if that was scored against United... Yeah, I mean, I think it was Gary Lineker who said, "If you're not interfering with play, what you're doing on the pitch, I think yeah. they seem to tie themselves up in knots by turning everything into a binary decision in football, and it's just not working. It's just not working. And you know, obviously, it counted in United's favour this week, and I was absolutely delighted. And if you're a City fan, you would say it completely changed the mood of the match because two minutes later, Rashford scored the winner, and there's no doubt that that." Controversy. They, they were all incensed, weren't they? Still, yeah, <laughs> chasing down the ref. And, I, and as I said, I think to the letter of the rules, it was right, and I'm glad it stood. Obviously, um, but there is just we just seem to make a mess of officiating over here. Having had a pretty well officiated World Cup, it just seems like we go back into the the, the you know referee scale of their own shadows, trying to make things that can be level binary when they're not you know subjective decisions exist in football they can't rule it out even with technology george put aside your um intense hatred for the winning team and just tell me uh in a, an objective manner as possible would you want that goal to stand no absolutely not i wouldn't even celebrate it i'm not even just saying that like it's it's i can't put it aside because <laughs> i feel like that's the only stadium that was going to happen at. that was never going to happen at ball well that's West exactly Ham, what it? pep said funnily enough. oh now that's where i lose i lose uh we know where we play I don't know if people have made their minds up yet. If Old Trafford is a prawn sandwich guzzling, quiet, <laughs> like middle-class football stadium full of Southerners, or if it's this 
an absolute febrile, hostile <laughs> atmosphere, which makes Both. referees and computers in the south of England make completely <laughs> yeah. different decisions. I'm still not sure that football has co- like collectively got around that narrative, but um, the fact that we're having the conversation at all suggests very good things about Man United and their <laughs> return. <laughs> the fact that you're in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's had a shocking week. City have gone out of the League Cup and lost the derby. I think there's something wrong at City. and There's I, um, no positive spin on that. No, I think... Um, I mean, we've talked about it before. They are a machine that builds momentum and then knocks all of all in front of it out of the way. And yeah. I think this World Cup has completely ruined their season. And I think the same about Liverpool, actually. Um, yeah. They were so finely tuned. To just suddenly play to a different rhythm has affected them completely. And I think the results show that. Um, and it, and it doesn't is... apply to United because you're not finely tuned? <laughs> exactly. United are at the beginning of a project and will at some point have their pants pulled down again. But they're definitely... You know, the the progress since that Derby Day defeat has been almost unimaginable. When we were talking on the pod after that, Indeed, six, yeah. all, all I wanted was, a, you know, we cancelled them out in the first half and that is progress. Right, and that was uh, October, mm. beginning of October, with a six or eight week gap in there. There's not even that much football between then no. and now, but the change is incredible. And this time last year, that was exactly this point of the year where City suddenly started winning and they yeah. won 12 on the spin. And and they've just not been able to do that this year. Yes, listeners may go back to our episode catalogue and find the episode called The Week the League Was Won. And uh, we just about uh, ended up being correct <laughs> <laughs> on the final day. You talked about the refs tying themselves in knots. I tied myself in knots uh, with a historical allegory thinking about this game uh, and the goal that we've decided to um, discuss first. The goal ultimately scored by Bruno, if I remember rightly. That's right. I think I agree with you that, uh, and and I've seen several refereeing experts, thank God, not just Peter Walton, but some other ones as well, (laughs) who say that uh, by the letter of the law, the referees did that correctly. And uh, as is so often the case, experts, pundits, football watchers um, didn't want it to stand and think it was ludicrous. Uh, You mentioned Lineker, there are several others. I feel it's like the first half of the 16th century in Europe and uh, the the religious wars uh, of the Reformation. And then uh, I say I tied myself in knots because essentially in my uh, allegory, IFAB is God. And um, when the Protestants, uh, after Martin Luther, began to spread the word of God and to emphasize the need to pay attention to the letter, (laughs) to the word, of the scriptures, that's where the division was broadly between them and Catholicism. So that means that the referees, the uh, football governing bodies are the Protestants who are um, now emphasizing the word of IFAB's laws and uh, Lineker heads up Catholicism basically. So the match of the day studio is sort of Rome. So you're saying that referees are Rangers fans? Um, Please, God, let's not take it in that direction and <laughs> yeah. uh, and involve the old firm because that's where um, everyone will get into hot water. And I'm not sure how far my analogy stretches anyway. But yeah, I was just uh, giving you an insight into how I tied myself in knots. But anyway, IFAB is God. End of part one. Okay, welcome back to part two. And uh, I know this is an audio medium, but I'm uh, sharing 
on screen with uh, Nick and George Harlan's touch map from Saturday. Yeah, I want to talk a bit more about the game, Nick, not just the controversial goal. Do you think you nullified Harland in this game or do you think uh, they nullified him with their style of play as is, uh, for example, the uh, suggestion of football's evergreen sage, Tony Cascarino? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's it's probably a little bit of both. I've said I don't think that City are firing on all cylinders, um, but it was nice to see a plan, a United team turn up with a plan and, and they put Fred on, on De Bruyne and it did cut off the, the flow. Unfortunately, Kevin De Bruyne is such a good player that you can't do that for 90 minutes and all it took was one moment of freedom and they scored in the uh, in the second half. But right. by and large, he was he was pretty quiet by his standards um, and, and they were therefore found it much harder getting it into Haaland who, yeah, he had a shocker by all, atta- all accounts. And, you know, it, it sort of emphasises a point that I've, I think I've made before that Pep hasn't got great pedigree when it when it comes to playing proper number nine strikers. Well, yeah, in fact, an awful one, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, here we're, we're looking at Haaland's touch map. He's got plenty in and around the centre circle, three of them kickoffs. But uh, he should never be playing that deep, a player of this uh, quality. But just thinking of the goals he scored earlier this season, all with these balls in behind and these incredibly powerful runs. Well, he's a machine. Um, he's been on the scene for what three or four years now. Yeah, so at the top of Europeans' game. And, I mean, there's a really strong argument. He's going to end up being the very best of all time in that position, and he's just in the wrong system, I think. And yeah. against a lot of teams, City will get away with it because they are phenomenally talented um, behind him. But the Pep system is, you know, it's the it's the possession football. It's not balls through splitting defenses. It's pass, pass, pass until you you create the opening. And, you know, you've seen it with Aguero. He didn't trust him when he first came in here. He did. Yeah. He fell out with Zlatan in a big way. I think he, one of his first transfers was to park Eto out when he first got Barcelona's job. And, he, you know, I don't think a big classic number nine suits City style. And I was slightly surprised that they moved heaven and earth to get him, albeit they are obviously a, a hoover for the best talent in on the continent. Yeah, and um, for two seasons, everyone was saying that's the final piece in the puzzle. It's all they need. Yeah, and actually what they've ended up doing is they've lost Sterling and they've lost Jesus. Um, Sterling's having, obviously, a rough ride at, at Chelsea, but Gabriel Jesus was has fired Arsenal well above City. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not sure that you would say at the end of the season they've been vastly improved by what is obviously an incredible player. So uh, back to the game, um, mm. the first half was a bit dull, you reckon, because of uh, United effectively shutting down City's play? Yeah, I think, um, as I said, we turned up with a plan, which is probably progress in the last few years, and that plan was to stifle them, although the best chances actually fell to United. Um, and United, were they had a really good half, they played, they played really well, and it's not a surprise that you found it a bit dull and fell asleep, actually, because I think it, there was a case of, of two quite evenly matched teams cancelling one another out. Yeah. But as I said, the, the match sort of turned at half-time and, and City came out with uh, new energy and new enthusiasm. Then, as I said, De Bruyne found a moment of space. That's all it took. Grealish had been on the pitch for two minutes and he scored the uh, the City goal. Um, and you sort of feel like, well, okay, at least we've been in this one because yeah. it certainly wasn't competitive at 60 minutes in the last couple of seasons. And then, yeah, as I said, the match swung on a controversial moment and it was one of the most memorable derbies of the last 
decade, I would say. Every football fan's dream coming back from behind against yeah. your arch rivals. Yeah. And the local boy scoring the winner. It was um it was fabulous. And that's now I think a record for Rashford in terms of goals scored at home uh, in a row. And he, as I have claimed before, is probably the informed player in Europe at the moment. Yes, uh, the famous words on Mbappe's level from last episode, listener. No comment. Uh, so what's next? Uh, we look at you there, obviously after the North London derby result, which we're about to get on to, fourth place quite uh, consolidated for you now. You're five points ahead of us with a game fewer. Yeah. And um, level with pesky Newcastle, but importantly, just one behind Crosstown Rivals City. And I think that was the main yeah. thing for me from the weekend was I said at the, on the pod last week, I didn't know as a United fan whether to be looking up or looking down. And I think United fans can now dare to look up. And I think there's probably a bit too much to be title challenges this year. But there's a really unique opportunity with City being off the pace, Chelsea being off the pace, Liverpool being off the pace. Yeah. Someone who probably wasn't one of the preseason favourites is going to win the league, I expect. Like that Leicester season where there was something wrong with all the big teams. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so I'm daring to dream. I think if anyone can can rein them in, rein Arsenal in, I think it will be United or City now. And uh, I, I expect City will probably still finish above this United team. But we're making a fight of it. And I think there feels to be a momentum and a change in mood around United and around football as well, actually. People are beginning to look at United a yeah. little bit differently, um, which is nice. I must just tell you that my friends who support Arsenal, um, when I made a quip about uh, Manchester United perhaps also being on their heels, just responded, that would be unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> there would be something lovely and a real throwback to United and Arsenal. Yeah. And keeping it out I think it would something. definitely trigger some trauma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and perhaps it already is. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, it will be interesting to see this Arsenal team when they come under a bit of pressure. Yeah. Because unfortunately, we're going to talk about the North London derby. That was not pressure. Unfortunately, not enough pressure yesterday at Spurs. No, I agree. Uh, it's a huge week for Manchester United coming up because you've got two away league games before a pause for three cup games. Your your um, League Cup semi-final and the FA Cup fourth round. It's a mad um, month. Both semi-finals of the League Cup being in January is, is incredible, um, along with all the other matches they're trying to squeeze in. Yep, but you're going to Palace and then, of course, Arsenal in the league before we talk next. So, yeah, after that derby, it's just high hopes, isn't it? It is. I think um, I still feel a bit cheated because playing Palace on under the lights midweek is a very different experience to the the uh, the Saturday afternoon kickoff we were meant to have when the Queen died. So yeah. that that becomes a much more tricky fixture. It's sort of in the way now, actually. I think, unfortunately, most United yeah, but Palace have been woeful Arsenal. recently. They have, and I think um, I can't remember his name, but I think one of their star centre backs got injured at the weekend. So that is helpful. Yeah, and. Um... And so uh, all of a sudden, uh, Arsenal, Manchester United on Sunday, which has been irrelevant for years. And we've been uh, mocking you for that because Sky always like to think it's uh, the same as it was 20 years ago in the biggest game in English football. All of a sudden, it matters hugely again next Sunday. Uh, George, you're you're, uh, floundering around at the opposite end of the table. Um, Thanks. as, as (laughs) As an outsider, just because we all... We all uh, we're all fed the title race narrative every season. You're not necessarily desperate for Arsenal to screw this up, like like I am certainly. But um, how do you how do you view this uh, developing season? It's really quite interesting, isn't it? I did say to 
fellow Leeds fan in the week, I'm really worried that Man United are actually in the title race now. And that right. before the Man City result, I think they definitely are. And I take you back a few weeks, I bet you that you'd still finish above Arsenal. Um, and I still maintain that, yes, um, unfortunately. Well, that's, <laughs> like, a, that's, that's a stretch now. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no ill feeling towards Arsenal. So <laughs> I really hope they don't. Oh, you don't? You hope they don't? Okay. No. But... Um... Yeah, the way it's taking shape, though, it's interesting. And you've got mm. Newcastle, Newcastle in the mix where nobody quite knows what to expect I, from them in the final stretch. Yeah, I keep expecting them to slip up. They're just kind of getting by at the moment, aren't they? Even failing to beat us is not particularly impressive and a bit lucky against Fulham at the weekend. Not to say Fulham are a bad team, obviously they're flying, but I do expect Newcastle to drop away slightly. Uh, I wouldn't consider them part of the title race. Okay, so I suppose that uh, brings us on to... The North London derby, we've referenced it a couple of times. Obviously, I'm absolutely disappointed, dejected about the fact, well, firstly, just losing to Arsenal, uh, which is never good. Losing to Arsenal at home, which uh, in recent years or the past decade or so has been mercifully rare. The playing style, Arsenal being top of the league, uh, not putting a dent into what is clearly becoming a title charge, even if it's with Eddie and Kessia. <laughs> it's all very um, depressing in that sense. But most of all, it's Conte. It's his football. It's uh, George telling me that I can't be upset because of where we are in the league. But, I haven't uh, said that for weeks. <laughs> right, right to reply, George. But, Let it go, um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got my stats, George. I, I believe I am within my rights to uh, be upset. And I'm basically, I'm done with him. He's probably going to leave, especially if we believe our um, our news hound, Nick Gilmer, um, who's always sniffing out the stories. And uh, Nick, you would have us believe that uh, he's not even going to last the season and is certainly going to move on by then. I don't understand what why everyone's sticking with him now. Like, it doesn't work for Spurs, it doesn't work for Conte. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand it. So he came out of the like stadium... You can imagine that everyone's pissed off and obviously the papers have all led with that lad who kicked uh, Ramsdale <laughs> in the backside, which was, I saw that, that was, we were at that end behind the goal. It was, fair, it was all fairly innocuous and um, the papers are, are, are really making a meal of it. But um, coming out of the stadium, so I heard so many shouts of Levy out and uh, Enoch out and all of these chants were directed at the board and the owners and um, <laughs> none of them at uh, Conte. And I just wanted to sort of go up to people. I didn't, but I, I, I felt like going up to people and saying, have you seen Everton? <laughs> you know, they're, fa- they're fantastic stadium. I can't see that getting built the way things are going up there. Whereas ours, we're literally walking out of it as we're shouting these things. And our stadium is, whatever is happening on the pitch inside it, it is absolutely incredible. And uh, I don't think anyone can argue that they did anything but a good job on it. So then you get on the other end of the spectrum, when when you're sort of complaining about Conte, I was I was in the pub after the game having a chat with somebody about how I don't like Conte's football. And this old bloke overheard us and he came straight for us and po- pointed his finger in my face. He's like, do you love Levy? And he thinks, because I'm critical of Conte's football, I must be a Levy apologist and I love Levy. And then you get these guys... I mean, it, it, in this particular example, I think it was quite extreme, but this fella started going on about how Levy's bought up the, the, the B&M store, the value store up the road, and how he's buying up all the properties and he's got no money for transfers and that's all 
you know, I, I mean, I don't want to get into it to that, to that kind of depth as to which properties he's buying up and what he's doing with it. All I know is that I see what I see when I go to the game. I see the football. And also, I don't have a short memory. So I remember Pochettino's team and I remember them being exciting. I remember them taking risks. In many cases, the same players. Some players have been around for all that time. And one thing that Pochettino's team never did was lose the league North London derby at home because he just got that and he got the fans and the importance of it, probably from Argentina, from his background. But uh, he didn't lose that game, even when at times we came into it under the cosh. And so I'm always going on about how we're useless in the big games. So I thought I'd get my stats together there as well for you, George. I'm going to reel them off. He took he took over on the 2nd of November. George is laughing at me, listener. But um, he took over on the 2nd of November 2021. The first time he scored, he uh, Conte's team faced one of the established big six, as it were, was Liverpool at home. And there was a pulsating, really exciting 2-2 draw. It's a, it's a while ago now, but uh, you might just about remember that sort of a year and a bit ago. But then you definitely remember from me wailing on and on on this pod about those three successive defeats to Chelsea in the League Cup semi-final and the league all in January last year. So that was woeful. Then in February 22, we somehow won 3-2 at the Etihad. I still don't understand how that happened, but I don't think anybody does. So great result. Uh, then we lost to the Ronaldo hat-trick in March. Uh, Nick, I'm sure you remember that. That was another good episode of the pod where <laughs> you were pretty happy. Another draw against Liverpool and then that magnificent 3-0 win against Arsenal where, let's face it, just Arsenal crumbled and everything went wrong for them and they scored an own goal and got red card and all this stuff. Um, so maybe sort of a balanced... Uh, balanced end-of-term report at the end of season for Conte against the big teams because he beat Man City and he beat Arsenal in the game that mattered the most. This season, however, started at Stamford Bridge with a 2-2. Remember when Tuchel uh, <laughs> sort of pulled out aggressively from the handshake with with Conte for that last-minute equaliser back in August. So that was very lucky. That was essentially, I considered that a defeat in terms of quality of the performance. And then since then, we've uh, gone to Arsenal, didn't turn up. 3-1, United beat us 2-0 again. We lost at home to Liverpool 2-1 with a woeful first half as usual and only a sort of half response. And then now um, 2-0 to Arsenal where Arsenal never really got out of second slash third gear. And then if you look at him complaining about how much money he's had to spend, he's got uh, Bentancur for 16 million in January, Bissouma for 25 million, Richarlison for around 50 plus add-ons, uh, plus the likes of Kulisevsky, Longley uh, on loan, Perisic free transfer. So not a lot of money being spent, but they're good signings. And uh, at one point, it, you've got Richarlison, Kulisevsky, Son and Kane all on the field together. And you can't play, you can't put Arsenal under pressure in a derby. It's just, you know, I think back to the the, the Pochettino teams that won the derby several times in um, exciting fashion with players that were not as good as that, or obviously Son and Kane were there, but not as many top quality players as those. So um, yeah, I'm fed up of it and uh, I won't miss him uh, when he goes, as Gilmer says. And I suppose uh, for today, we'll have to, as a group, as a podcast, we'll have to reluctantly congratulate Arsenal and move on. <laughs> A 
Okay, welcome back to part three. Listener, you've heard uh, about uh, Nick's great weekend with a derby win, uh, come from behind victory over Manchester City. Then you've heard me uh, wail on about another inadequate performance uh, against a big rival at Spurs. And now we go down to the bottom of the league or towards it. Uh, but like I say, Leeds United still in 14th on 17 points, but that's only two above the relegation zone. And most worryingly, surely, is the fact that it's a long time, especially because of the World Cup, since a win. So you might remember uh, the exciting 4-3 winner, Ellen Road, against Bournemouth. That was fireworks night, 5th of November. And we're now in the middle of January and they haven't had a win. Let's start with what happened on Friday night in what Jesse Marsh called the best performance that he's seen uh, in his tenure, isn't it? Yeah, says it all, doesn't it? Christ. <laughs> he's he's probably not wrong. It's just, what's he done it there? He's, he's kind of drawn a picture of his tenure by saying that, that our best performance comes in a 2-1 defeat. <laughs> right, so um, your thoughts on this game all in all, George? Um, I mean, like I said, he's not wrong. They actually did seem to play well, the bits that I could bear to watch. But to gift a goal like we did in the third minute from our corner... And less than 20 seconds later, the ball's in the back of our net. I don't know if you either of you watched this or saw the replays. That um... Yeah, I was watching that uh, as it happens, and you've just reminded me. Yeah, it was a counter-attack that seemed to play out in slow motion with just nobody making a tackle. Well, no, and, and if you watch it back, three, I mean, this is amateur football stuff, three of our defenders go to the same man and right. leave Jacob Ramsey, I think it was, the, the midfielder, completely on his own to, to run half of the length of the pitch with the ball completely unopposed and then just picks up Leon Bailey terrific finish I can't take anything away from that but the yeah it, it was just amateur that's the third minute and just kind of puts you on the back foot from the from the very start I mean Villa were very lucky I think Unai Emery didn't set up a team to win that game our dreadful defending let them win the game because even we're going 1-0 up and we're obviously you know we're bottom of the form table in the league we're, we're there for the taking he, 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 they sat back and we, we attacked them for the rest of the first half, more or less, but obviously just couldn't score and had three good penalty shouts, all right. of which were, were, were waved away. I was particularly aggrieved. And if you saw the, what's now known as the Netherlands free kick, isn't it? The uh, yeah. passing to the player, which we tried to replicate. And um, Rodrigo was rugby tackled and no, nothing was given. And then, 24 hours later, I see the exact same thing happen to Ivan Tony. Um, yeah, I thought that was the, a foul. Anyway, uh, the VAR assistant's a Huddersfield fan, apparently. So I the Vault Veghorst free kick. Uh, yes. Nick, we haven't even mentioned that. A new recruit. I'm looking forward to seeing a big lump up front when United need a goal later in the season. He's exactly <laughs> my sort of player. It's always right. about Man United, isn't it? It's always about Man United. <laughs> Sorry, you, you asked, you asked. <laughs> anyway, Sorry, I'm, dragging, yes. I'm dragging this um, out, aren't I? Nice to see Bamford score, albeit too late. Means nothing. Too little, too late. Means yeah. nothing. Means nothing. I think it was his only touch, so that's not bad. <laughs> right. So why don't I try and put a positive spin on this and um, mention yes. the uh, enduring love story that unfolded at uh, Villa Park? Uh, well, a nascent love story that may well be enduring is a better way to put it. Somebody was completely besotted. Do you know who I mean? Gary Neville. Gary Neville Trying and the Willie. Trying to sell our player, basically. Willie Nyonto, yes. Yeah. 
What did he say? He belongs at Man City or something like along those lines. Right. He, so yeah. even that is a negative. I can't. Yep. I can't talk about that either. No, I'll talk about Nonto though. He is fantastic. We have right. real as as fans. Gary Neville told the nation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Five million from from FC Zurich and go on. What makes him so special? Oh, he's just so electric, and he he's got such a low center of gravity because he's 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 a bulky, you know, five foot three, five foot four player, but absolutely rapid as well. Yeah. Um, and just wants to make things happen. He's very energetic, yeah. excitable, young sort of puppy. <laughs> yeah. That's the ball. But I it, think it's, it's probably it's... similar with Mike's excitement about Kulusevski. Just that willingness yeah, to take someone so. on. Yeah, but no, and also yeah. the player that I mean, he's, he's he's just a nineteen, and he's oh, a player. Yeah. That all the players want to give the ball to, like what yeah. pressure on him already to try and drag us out of the mess we're in. Another stick to beat Marsh with is the fact that when we signed him, he said he didn't have him in his first team plans. How wrong he was! I mean, he's he's now probably our, shown to be our best player at the moment. Was it the um, game against Bournemouth when he when he sort of edged his way in? Yeah, and Liverpool away, he was yeah. he was outstanding as well. Um, so yeah, he's he's in a highlight. Bamford being back is a good thing. I mean, let's not forget he did score. 17 Premier League goals not long ago in a season yeah. and got an England call up. So there is a good striker there. We've got back. I hope it's just the Premier League Bamford and not the He's Championship. Just Bamford. made of glass, isn't he? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, that's his first goal for nearly 18 months. So we really do need him back. I don't know how long Marsh has got. We've we've got a um, cup replay against Cardiff, which is a bit of a free hit. I don't feel like that's going to be the end of him, but Brentford. And then a, and then a trip Sunday. to Boreham Wood or Accrington, less less <laughs> Yeah, as you say, another. Uh, Dig another hole in our cup graveyard. Brentford at home on Sundays for me, yeah, win or bust. Yep, and, uh, and I believe you've got your uh, you've got you've got your Islander passport ready for your um, pilgrimage. Such an idiot, aren't I? Why on earth am I going to that? <laughs> I am. I am in Leeds for other reasons. I would not fork out and make that much effort to go and watch this team at the moment. Oh, you don't have to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, you know, we've got we've got three teams. In three of the next four games, the team's below us in the league. So it's really, you know, they've got a two-week gap after that Brentford game. If we lose that, that's the time to get rid of him, right? That that evening right. and make a change because we've got massive Man United game aside. That's obviously not going to happen. <laughs> but the other ones are very winnable games. Forest, Everton, Southampton. We have to get points from those games. Oh, Everton, free hit. <laughs> Away, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, big week. Uh, yeah. We keep saying that, though. I keep saying that. We have to start winning games. We are bottom of the form table. We are. Uh, wasn't Brentford desperate. a crazy game last season? We we did that on this pod when uh, Bamford mm. injured himself, was it? Injured himself, celebrating an equaliser yeah. against Brentford. Yeah, Jesus Christ. And and was that when um, a bottle of Dr Pepper hit someone or some, something like that? Oh, that's probably every week at Ellen Road. But <laughs> remind <laughs> what what am I thinking of? What was it? Um... The celebration of the uh, the Brentford player i think I'm not sure. wound you up and we said he, he he shouldn't do that in that particular corner of ellen road i think that's what i'm remembering <laughs> I remember that. it does happen a lot all i remember <laughs> from last season was all the paper airplanes hitting Grealish. that was funny yeah i think it was along the lines of um of course i can't condone someone being hit with a bottle of dr pepper but he really shouldn't have been doing that there that's that's what i remember your response being george yeah. you folk you focus on your own fans after the weekend yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, I didn't. I quite frankly, I don't agree with um, Henry Winter's uh, write-up of that as being that um, Ramsdale had to deal with Richarlison pushing him. I mean, Richarlison only pushed him because he was winding up our fans. So, mm, indeed, um, it's definitely Ramsdale's behaviour that started the whole thing. 
Okay, so um, nice segue into Everton, I think, since you just mentioned uh, <laughs> they're coming. We're going to have a friend of the show, Ben Jones, on again soon, I hope, the uh, Evertonian, who's graced us with his presence once before. Can't be easy for him at the moment. But um, what do we think? Firstly, why is Lampard still there? He's going to West Ham away next weekend, which is never easy for Frank Lampard uh, in terms of reception he gets. But he, he might prefer that to another game at home at Goodison where it's turned right sour. But um, no, but not why why him, is he though. still there and how long has he got? It's the same as your scenario, though. Although this is a club with real problems. Yeah, that of, is my point. That is my point. But none they, of it's aimed at him. None of it's aimed at him. It's very bizarre. They've got every reason to be singing, uh, mm-hmm. shouting, sack the board. Um, and all this stuff, and then we wonder. Turned on the board, though. Like, if you sack the manager and there isn't an immediate jump, yeah. you really have got nowhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you look at their recent appointments as well; they've been disastrous, haven't they? Yeah, nothing's worked. He might be quite a useful human shield for them at the moment. Um, it's quite a big one. But can you <laughs> can you remember a manager at a club as big as Everton who has survived? A, a patch of form quite as bad as this. They beat Palace at home at the end of October. That's quite long before Leeds is last. <laughs> it's so um, bad, yeah. And then they've gone, they've gone um, to Fulham and, and got a creditable point. But they've lost at home to Leicester, Wolves, Brighton, Southampton. Okay, Brighton are, are doing very well, but the rest are all um, underachieving teams this season. They've gone out of uh, the cup away at Bournemouth, and then went back three days later and lost in the league. Do you remember that week? Uh, they somehow found it in, within themselves to get a point at Man City, but also went out in the cup to to your lot at Old Trafford, fairly meekly as well, I think you'd say, Nick. Yeah, so I think... there's just nothing since the end of October. I did and, get yeah. a particularly bleak text from friend of the show, Ben Jones, after the weekend result, where he just acknowledged that we're the worst team in the league, we're going down. <laughs> and, right. Um, I think... It's really difficult to argue with that. I, I am surprised the manager's still there, but I don't get the sense that the board would have a plan. Or maybe they're all sitting on their hands waiting for Moyes, which would be the one popular appointment that wouldn't divide the fan base, I think. Potentially, yeah. Or Deitch. Uh, that's Deitch. My, my point. He's still looking they, for work. <laughs> they should be moving heaven and earth to get Deitch before about three or four other teams are all looking for new managers. I don't get it. Why stick with someone who's doing so in, in terms of how many games we've had, 18, 19, we're at sort of where we would usually be in December, aren't we? Where you get a lot of sort of yeah. yuletide seckings. So you expect that some of these might be around the corner, Nick? I think so, yeah. Um, I don't know when the next international break is, actually. That's often a moment where people... Not till March. Is it not? Not for a while, yeah. No one's going to wait then. But um, it certainly feels like there's a few on the precipice at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've already mentioned a couple of things happening this week. We've got uh, Manchester United away at Crystal Palace for a game in hand. We've got the FA Cup uh, third round replays. It would be interesting to see whether Liverpool will stay in the FA Cup because they've got to go to Wolves and get something. And in their current state, who knows? Uh, Leeds have got Cardiff, as George has mentioned. Then also on Thursday night, Tottenham go to... Man City in an, for another game in hand, uh, rescheduled from back in September. Not looking forward to that at all now. <laughs> um, and then at the weekend, we've mentioned the the big Saturday lunchtime kickoff is struggling Liverpool at home to struggling Chelsea. Ninth versus tenth. Who would have seen that coming at the start of the season? 
Bournemouth against Forest. Forest have picked up a few wins recently. Bournemouth, one of those clubs in real, real trouble. Leicester also, Brendan Rodgers on that precipice, I think, that Nick mentioned would have mm-hmm. to be would have to be said. They uh, host high-flying Brighton. Southampton, who've put a great week together, even though they're at the foot of the table, they've won three big games in the week. Uh, they're at home to Villa. West Ham, Everton, uh, that's a cauldron for lamps. Palace host Newcastle at home in the tea time kickoff on Sky. Can they stop Newcastle? Uh, we, we shall see. Leeds against Brentford on the Sunday early. City at home to Wolves on the Sunday just because they play us on Thursday. I think it's not on TV. And then uh, Sky's favourite fixture of all time, Arsenal Man United <laughs> on Sunday afternoon. And then we're on Monday Night Football away at Fulham, um, which is not by any means an easy assignment these days. Fulham, as one of you mentioned a short, uh, short while ago, are flying. And uh, we're unfortunate to lose at uh, St. James's Park at the weekend. So uh, we'll leave it there for this week. And um, we'll talk again next week when we will know so much more because um, City will have played twice. Arsenal will have played United. United will have played twice. Everton will have lost again. Only joking. <laughs> but we shall see. Yeah, so can't wait to speak to you all again. And I think uh, our our final thought for this week should be for George, who is going on his pilgrimage. Mm. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you afterwards, George. Really, really hope you've got three points in the bag when you're back. Yeah, fingers crossed, eh? Okay, thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. And thank you, George. Thank you, as always. And thank you, listener, and uh, we shall speak again. Bye-bye.